Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. Turn to the text upon which our sermon is based today, uh, Acts chapter 13. We're looking at another, another segment in this book, uh, the book of Acts written by Luke. Same guy that wrote the book of Luke. Uh, this is part two. I've mentioned this week by week. And the reason he wrote part two is to give, us the, to give us the next chapter, the next piece of the story after Jesus uh, was raised up to heaven, after the ascension. And, we, and just like in, the, in his first book, Luke, he's showing us the life of Jesus uh, as he lived it on earth. And then uh, in the book of Acts, part two, the, the sequel, he's showing us the life of Jesus as displayed in the lives of the people he touched, in the people he, whose hearts he invaded and took hold of. What, uh, what, it, it's the work of Jesus through the life of his spirit in the world. And that that is the most effective me- means by which God is uh, expanding his gospel, expanding his kingdom all over uh, the eras of time and all through the planet of, uh, that, he ha- that he desires to, to draw his kingdom and build. And so we're seeing that piece by piece and the pieces, that were that, uh, the pieces of that display, how did the Holy Spirit, how did Jesus manifest himself or, or display himself in the lives and hearts of his children. And we're seeing that little by little uh, as we go through the book of Acts. I'm going to start reading uh, as we go, chapter 13, um, at... I'm a little sooner than what's printed in the bulletin, but if you're following along in your Bible or on your device, um, I'm going to start reading at verse 13 and then skip down a little bit to verse 26 when I tell you. So, Acts 13, or yeah, Acts 13, 13. From, uh, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went to Pisidia, Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Jump down to 26. Paul speaking, saying, Brothers, children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the, the words of the prophets that are read every, every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for, his, for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son today, and I have become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead Never to decay is stated in these words, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. 
But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that, though, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who, who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Inform our minds, uh, captivate our hearts, our emotions, guide our uh, decisions and uh, the choices we make day by day. pray that you do this for your sake, for your kingdom, and for the blessedness of your, ch- of your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, you ever thought about what makes a good sermon? Sure you have. Yeah. Uh, what makes a good sermon? Don't shout it out. I'm thinking on, so, on many lists, it's going to be how long it is. Right? That's what makes a good sermon. Uh, another, another, uh, another thing, you know, uh, it sort of did it make me feel good. Well, did, it, did it captivate me? Was there a sense that, did it, go, did it go by faster? Did it give me something, did it give me something, did it help me in some fashion? What, what makes a good, so, I mean, why are you here? Why are you going to spend the next 30 minutes, you know, we're going to be here for 30 more minutes before you're done. Why are we here? What's the whole, what, what, uh, do, you have a, do you have a sense of rubric in your head? Do you have a sense of what it is that we're here to do for the next little bit? We've, we've been studying, we've been looking at the book of Acts, seeing how the Spirit of God manifests the life of Christ in the hearts and lives of His people. And over the time, we've seen stories of how the church, how the church uh, engaged the culture, how the church loved those around them, how the church gathered together in community, how the church in mercy served and loved those around them and, and were, and were, uh, and were um, uh, praying with and for and seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, as it says in, in the Scriptures. And all of these things were the way that the Spirit of God manifests the grace of God in the lives of his people, and then, and then it rippled out into the culture. But at the very heart of it, at the very heart of it, it is the, the Spirit of God is not simply manifesting it through the activity of his, of his children and of those who trusted him. There is at the center of the Spirit's work in the lives of his people, there is a central message. There is a central content that Paul is describing in, as he stands up, as he, as he, as he, as he uh, preaches before the people, there is a central message and content that, that everything wraps around. And that Paul even says, I've got, I'm, when I came, he, he, he tells this to the Corinthians that he, when he wrote his letter, he says, when I came to you, I came in fear and trembling, but not with, not with methods of men, not with, not, not with, uh, not with uh, eloquent speech. I came to you in weakness and fear and, tr- and trembling, and I endeavored to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is a central, focal content to the work of God 
that, that Paul is describing in this and, that this and that Luke is helping us to see that regardless of what we think the gospel is in terms of its love and grace and in terms of the community that it develops and in terms of the transformation that occurs, there is a central message. And that message, that message provides a concrete content and in this, in this, and the central message is the risen Jesus, the resurrection, the cross. And, and when we say the resurrection, Paul, even though he doesn't delineate it, he delineates it to some extent. As you see in the passage, he talks about how the death was carried out when they had carried out all that was written about him. Uh, and they, they, and they uh, pulled him, or they took him down off the tree. So he's referring to the crucifixion in that, the tree of crucifixion, the cross. So there's the cross, resurrection, ascension, epic. We're talking about the work of Jesus. Paul did not spend, as, Paul did not spend hardly any time talking about the teachings of Jesus. He didn't spend hardly any time talking about the miracles of Jesus. Paul and the, and the, and the apostles after Jesus spent hardly any time talking about those elements of Jesus' life, but spoke about what he accomplished in his person for the advancement of the kingdom of God and for the advancement of our, for the advancement of the message. He talks about it in this way. A couple of things that we notice about this message is that it's, it's a concrete reality in history. It is not a philosophical idea. It is not a whimsical uh, 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 interesting feeling it is not a spiritual it is not predominantly a spiritual engagement when paul refers to when the scriptures refer to the content of the of the work of jesus of the resurrection of the of the of the death and resurrection of jesus it refers to it in concrete historical realities it is not it's, a, it's not, in Paul's description, in the, in the way that the, the Scripture is presented, it is, not, it is presented simply as a matter-of-fact, a matter-of-fact fact. It is, it is, and Paul goes into this, into some, uh, into some length here to describe how afterwards many people, he walked amongst many who saw him and he spent time, and that he goes into this, uh, you'll notice this, the words used again, and, the, and, the, and he goes back through Scripture, he says, you know, many other people, they, uh, they died throughout the history, and what happened to them? They decayed. They went in the grave, and there, we can't, they're, they're, they, uh, they wasted away, just like every one of us. When we die, we go in the grave, and we, and we decay. Every, but yet there is one who, when he went in the grave, did not decay, was not left in that, that, that God himself raised him from the dead. It is, it is a... It is a legitimate, concrete point in human history. That's one thing that I've, that, that's been beneficial uh, over the years in, about Christianity is that it's not a whimsical feeling. It's not some sort of, it's not some, forgive me. This is as distracting to you as it is to me when it's not working right. Forgive me. I'm going to try to make it so I don't have to fiddle with it. Um, that, that Christianity is not this, uh, this warm, fuzzy feeling that makes me feel loved by God. Certainly it is, and that, and that warm, fuzzy feeling comes and goes, but it's not, it's not based on circumstances. It's not based on my ability to accomplish what the, what the Scriptures uh, require. It's based on a truth that happened in human history that's irre- 
irrevertible, incontrovertible in our, in our understandings. It is, it is based outside of myself so that I that my sense of its reality is not, it's, it's not based on, even my, on my ability to grasp it. And Paul makes, makes that very clear to us. The other thing that's so, that's so very, uh, that's so very uh, clear is that when, when Paul and, and uh, his, his companions, they, they go to these various communities to, uh, to begin advancing the gospel, advancing the kingdom of God, sharing the message of hope and grace. They're, they're spreading the word into, into further and further regions. Paul was one of the, the key principles, the, the, as it were, the, the bridge builder to the, to the far open world of the gospel. They go to these places and uh, the, they start by going to the, to the religious places they go to the synagogue, and they're sitting there just like anybody else, visiting the church, hoping that some conversations may develop. And while they're there, they're asked, to, if, you have a, if you have a message of encouragement, speak it. The content, the content of the gospel, the content of Christianity, the, the central message is a message of encouragement, not condemnation. When Jesus sent out the 70, uh, when, he was walk, when he walked the earth and when he, he gathered the disciples, there were 70 disciples, he said he sent them out to go to the towns two by two, sharing the message of the gospel with the, with, the, with the towns around them. And he said, when you enter a town, tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand and then heal the sick, uh, heal the sick, deal with their hunger, bring mercy to that community, Tell them, bless it is the name of the Lord. In other words, when you come, I want them to know when you go to the town, be a blessing to the town. Show them God's grace. Raise, you know, uh, help uh, heal the sick. Care for the wounded. Draw them back in. Help them to see the grace of God. It, the gospel is predominantly, the word gospel in its original, in its original context means, means good news. It's encouraging. It's good news. It's helping, to, it's helping to heal a part of my heart that I thought could never be healed. It's telling me something that I thought, uh, all I believe is the bad news. But now the good news is that, I, that, I, that what I thought couldn't be healed can be healed, that, that the condition of my heart is not left to its failing, betraying self. That's Good news. That's the encouragement. And so the thing that I, you know, often, oftentimes when, when uh, um, you know, the, the, there's a passage in, in Peter that says that when you let your, let your speech always be full of grace. Uh, and I'm, I'm always challenged sometimes that, that Christians can talk about grace in the most, in the most condemning fashion I'm aware of. And I, and I, and in the most, in the most discouraging way. And I, and, and I think when Peter's talking, he says, let, let your, let your speech be full of grace, content, let the content be about grace, but let the, but let your tone, let your sense of encouragement, let your application be gracious as well. Be gracious about grace. Be gracious about the content, about the resurrection. Paul, Paul, and, Paul and, his, and his companions are giving a message of hope in this context. 
the message of hope is that Jesus, by dying, by being raised by God after his, in the resurrection and being seen and being carried up to heaven, the, the, the hope of it is in verse 30, 38 and 39, he says, therefore, whenever Paul uses the word therefore, he's always talking about some way to apply all this. He says, therefore, brothers, I want you to know that Jesus that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Two things, and that what you and that whoever believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Two things he's saying are a result, two things are a result of the central content of the gospel of grace, of the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is not about what you can do. The message of Christianity is not about our need to be improved. Humanity doesn't need to be improved. You don't need to get better. You need to be saved. You need to be rescued. You and I are, are, not, are not, you know, all, you know, often we think, well, I just need to get better. just need to work harder. just need to do more. just need to feel. That's not the message of the gospel. That's, that's not good news. The good news, it's not good news to be told, hey, here, here are eight things you can do to be a better human. It's not, that's not good news. Well, the reason that's not good news is because it might be eight things and it might make you feel good while you're reading it, and, but then you've got eight more things to do and you, better be be, and you better be good at it. You better not get them wrong. And so now all you've done is you've turned up the speed on your treadmill. Is that good news? To turn up the speed on your treadmill? You want to go faster? How about we'll just, how about we, if you don't turn up the speed, we'll just make it, make the incline a little higher. How about that? You know what happens when you turn up the speed and the incline on the treadmill, right? Those are stress tests that they send you to the doctors for and want you to get a stress test. You know what they're trying to do with those stress tests? Stress tests? They're trying to push your heart to its maximum and to see at what point your heart breaks. That's not good news. And if you've ever, you know, run on a treadmill, I can't wait to get off. That's good news. When I, when I come home from a run, my wife often, is, my, my wife almost always, I say, you know, I'm back and I'm sweaty and I'm, I'm breathing heavy. And she says, how'd it go? I go, it's over. That's, that's, our, that's our little banter. It's over. Yeah. That's the good news. And that's the good news of Christianity. That's the good news of the resurrection. And that's why Paul, the central element of the gospel is the, is the work of Jesus, not the work of the people. Not your work. The good news, every other religion says, here's more work to do. Eightfold path, uh, laws of Confucius and Shinto, Hindu process. Yeah, here's here's more work. It's not good news. Christianity says, here's finished work. Here's, Here's, it's not your work, it's the work of someone on your behalf. It's the work of, it's the work of, of, a, 
of a man who went to death for you and then came back to prove he had more power over it. Now, and if we trust in him, I get each person, if we trust in him, it says, Paul says, if you believe that, if you believe in that central content, there, there are, he mentions two, there are dozens, but there are two central benefits to that that are the good news. Forgiveness and justification. Forgiveness. That you can have forgiveness that because of what Jesus did at the cross, because of his not... not that when, when, when you and I get a work to do, we mess it up. When you and I have something to do, when you, there's, you know, when you and I have, a, have, some, uh, have some, something to accomplish, we always fail at it. And I don't mean that we always fail to the uttermost. It's not like we, we get it as wrong as we could get it, but it's always stained by our inabilities. It's stained by our character. It's stained by our, by our self-interest, by our false motives, by our ingratitude. We prayed about a bunch of things that we talked about how, you know, how we're just not love, love the Lord, the two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Okay, how you doing? All your heart all your mind, all your strength, okay? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that seems easier. How you doing? Right? And even when I love my neighbor, I don't really love my neighbor. Even when you love your neighbor, you don't really love your neighbor. You know, you, I mean, you know, and, and, and not, not if we look at the deepest recesses, not if we examine our hearts to, it, to the furthest extent. And so because of that, because I'm, because I'm, even when I'm loving God, I'm not loving him with everything because, you know, sin and, and you know, I still have my own self-interest. I'm still sort of wrapped up in me and I'm still sort of wrapped up in me when I'm loving you. And all of that self-interest, all of that wrapped up in myself gets in the way and poisons everything I do and makes it unacceptable. And so my life is filled with black marks. My, my heart is... is is full of, of broken pieces, of mess-ups, of failings, and guilt, and shame. And yours is too. And I just want that, I just want it to be washed away. I, I want it to just go away. I don't, want to, I don't want it to be true of me. The gospel, the work of Jesus the good news is that because of what he did at the cross, because he took, as I believe in that, as he takes, he was taking my black marks and paying for them. He took them and then forgives me for them. God forgives me because Jesus paid for the forgiveness. One, one, uh, one pastor says that, that, the, that, um, that the gospel or that the, that the resurrection is, is the great receipt of life and death before God. And what he means by that is, this happened to me this week when I was at Walmart. Went to Walmart, bought some stuff, walking out, and there's a nice older woman at the door. And as I pass her, she says, good afternoon. I said, good afternoon. She says, can I, can I see your receipt? It's a little unusual because that doesn't always happen. So I... I I'm glad I didn't throw the receipt out because I normally throw away the receipts. But I grabbed, looked in my bag and I pulled out the receipt. She says, yep, okay. She says, have a nice day. 
Why did she want to see the receipt? Because she wanted to make sure that what I had, I had paid for. And that's what the pastor meant when he says that the, that the resurrection is the receipt, is that you and I, our sins have been, if we trust in him, our sins have been paid for, and the resurrection is the receipt that says this is, I can be forgiven, I can be whole, I can be guiltless because Jesus paid for my stuff. And I can go back the next week and get more forgiveness because I have the receipt. The resurrection. Not me. Nothing in me paid for that. Nothing I did gets that. But what he accomplished paid for my sins. And so the benefit of the resurrection proves to me that I have forgiveness and my slate can be clean and I can be washed away and I don't have to live in the darkness of my old life. I don't have to live in the darkness of my old shames. I don't have to live with the fear that the skeletons in my closet are going to come out. Now, we all have skeletons. And sometimes the consequences, the legacy of our sin does come out and there are consequences to some of that in a, in a tangible earthbound sense because sin breaks things and sin poisons things. But what it, the gospel is telling me, what the resurrection is telling me is it will never poison your relationship with God. It will never ultimately destroy. It will never ultimately have reign over you. It will never ultimately be that which defines you. Because what defines you as you believe in Christ is not your old self, not your mistakes, not your sinfulness, but what defines you is the person and work of Jesus. And that's what he meant when he says that the gospel also provides justification. It, justification is just another, it's just a fancy word for credit or identity. Because a lot of times what we're doing in life is I'm trying to find a way to be justified. Think of the last argument you had with anyone. What do you want? Do you want forgiveness? Do you want to, you want to, do you want to be right or do you want to be forgiven? If you had an argument, if you're in conflict, do you want to be right? Do you want to be forgiven? Most arguments, when I'm having with somebody, I want to be right. And when I'm trying to be right, I'm trying to be justified. I'm trying to find some way to be on top of the situation, to, to, to rationalize, to justify my actions with what I did or what I said or how I was. Oh, it's just a miscommunication. It's you didn't understand me. Or you, what, you, know, you, got, you got it wrong. Oh, you didn't see the whole picture. Or you, oh. And what we're doing in that is we're trying to find a way to be right in that moment, to be justified by my, by my abilities, by my activities, by my... I, we're trying to find a, a, a momentary circumstantial identity we all do this. Our whole lives are filled with moment by moment trying to find a justification for myself, trying to find a, a, a sense of pride, a sense of wholeness, a sense of well-being in that moment by something I do, by something I said, by something I accomplished in this. You know, even when, even when somebody comes to us and, and, and points something out that wasn't, that wasn't right about us, we, we want them to look at the other 80% that was right. 
Well, yeah, that, that might be true, but look, look over here. And in that, what I'm doing is I'm trying to find a rational, a, a, a justification. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to find in the horizontal world, in the horizontal nature of my life, I'm trying to find a way to be, to have a wholeness, to have a confidence, to, have, to be on top of my game. When what the resurrection says is, that whole system is shut down. If we believe in the power of God, if we believe in the work of the gospel, the justification is I'm no longer going to try to find my justification in the horizontal plane. I'm no longer going to try to find my justification by the things that I bring to the table. My sense of wholeness, my sense of well-being, my confidence, my sense, my sense of, of, uh, of, of identity is no longer going to come. You know, what did we sing? All these things I counted loss. I count, and Paul's, Paul was doing that. He's, the, he's, in other parts of his letter, he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was better at doing the moral code than everybody else. I was better at justifying my life and finding my identity in the horizontal plane than everybody else. But, but since I've come to know Christ, all that in my mind, all that in my usage is loss. He's not saying that it wasn't true. He's just saying it's, no, it's, just, it's counterfeit money. <laughs> if, you, you know, if, if you had a million dollars in counterfeit money, I mean, what, could you use it for anything? No, because it's worthless. And Paul's saying it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter how rich you are, it doesn't matter how accomplished you are in the horizontal plane of credit system and rightness and, and identity finding, it's useless. It's, and it's ultimately, it fades away, and it's only temporary. And inside, you may, in, in moments, you know, uh, in those moments where I've told you where in arguments someone points or, 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 or in an evaluation or somebody comes to me and says, well, look, look at what you did that was wrong. And we go, well, look at all the eight, eight or nine things that I did that was right. Did you notice those things? In those moments, I'm, in those moments I, I kind of walk away and maybe I win the argument and I walk away, but I still don't feel right because there's still... I've still got a scratch on the system. I've still got something that's wrong. It's still poisoned. I didn't get it completely right. So it doesn't ultimately, justifying myself through the horizontal system of my, of my efforts and abilities doesn't really satisfy. But what the good news of the gospel is, the good news of the resurrection is, you can be justified. You can have a sense of, you can have a sense of identity and wholeness. You can have a rightness that is concrete, that is real, that is powerful, and that is unchangeable, and that is accurate and whole and full to the highest level simply by believing in Jesus. What he earned for us at the cross was not just forgiveness for what I did in the past, but a wholeness and a rightness into the future justification into the future. So now my confidence and my sense of, my sense of well-being and my sense of, my sense of fulfillment and satisfaction doesn't come from what I'm doing. 
It comes from what he did for me and from the righteousness that he, the rightness he has and the wholeness he has, he gives me and it can't be damaged. It can't be taken away. It can't be destroyed in any fashion. And if I'm living, if you and I are living based on that, it provides hope, confidence. It provides a sense of identity. And if I'm, here's the thing, if I'm living, if you're living out of the justification of the, of the resurrection and not out of your own justification, if you're living out of the sense of identity that comes from the cross and from the resurrection and not your own, now when someone comes to you and says, look at these two things out of 10 that you did wrong. Look at these eight things out of 10 that you did wrong. Now how do you feel? You might feel sad, you might feel, you might feel discouraged, but you're not wrecked because your identity isn't built on those things. Your sense of wholeness is, is still intact. In, in the midst of a conflict with your, with your spouse or with your children or with your, or with your boss, when, you, when the conflict rages and you're, uh, you, you can receive forgiveness rather than be right, you can simply admit you're wrong and, move and, and, and receive and confess and then receive forgiveness because whether or not you think well of me, whether or not I need your forgiveness, whether or not I was right or wrong doesn't matter because I have the favor of God because of the right, righteousness of Jesus. And that is what identifies me. So now I can live Humbly, I can live boldly, I can live truthfully, I can live, I can live graciously, I can live with gratitude in those moments because I don't need to get anything out of this horizontal moment. I'm all I have that I'm get where I'm getting my sense of fulfillment and satisfaction is from the vertical connection I have with his justification. That's what the resurrection provides. That's the central, and that's the central message. Forgiveness for the past, justification for the future that is, that is built on the righteousness of Jesus. Powerful, powerful, good news that gets us off the treadmill, off the effort-bearing. Actually, here's the thing. Living by my own efforts and trying to find my own justification, we've said, is like running on a treadmill, we run faster and faster and, 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 and harder and harder and get nowhere. But when we live out of the justification of Jesus, it fills, us with, it fills us with such a joy that I can work hard to love others, but I have a peaceful heart. I can work hard at caring and loving and living the law and love of God in the world around me and to the people's lives around me, but in my heart, I'm peaceful and powerful because of what Christ has accomplished, because I don't need anything out of it. That's the gospel of grace. That's the good news. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for doing the work that we could not do that it might provide our forgiveness, justification, that it might lead us to a sense of gratitude and wholeness. I pray that we might learn its truths day by day and not confuse it with other counterfeit messages that promise something but can't deliver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.